This podcast includes adult themes and discussion. We know that's why you're here. Listening discretion is advised. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Welcome back, monster fuckers. <laughs> Again! Hello! <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm really excited about this week's episode. Uh, but before we get into it, how have you been, Jess? What are you into? I? <laughs> what am I into? Well, you guys got a whole podcast for that? Oh, well, here we are. <laughs> that was a horrible joke! <laughs> Scratch that out! <laughs> Uh, what, what, what am I into? What I've been up to? Yeah. Um, there's snow, right? It's snowing a little bit. Oh my bit gosh, there's like a blizzard here right now, yeah. which is so delightful. Uh, working my way through the Throne of Glass series, as I mentioned in the last episode. Yeah. Um, what else new am I? Oh, I'm getting ready for con season slowly. Ooh, it's coming. Um, we have Vancouver Fan Expo coming up on my end, uh, so I'm preparing my rough lineup. My rough lineup is uh, Lucian mm. from Akatar. There's my Akatar plug of the week. <laughs> and um, <laughs> cue the music. <laughs> Akatar plug of the week. Um, and uh, Mojo Jojo jo from Powerpuff Girls. Oh um, and then some some other one that I haven't decided yet. Maybe I'll bring back Rasputin. Maybe I'll do Feyre. We don't know yet. It's too early to know. It's too early. I mean, the con is like mid-February, so I really got to haul ass now. Yeah. yeah. Our first con of the year is in like uh, two and a half weeks, and I haven't decided if I'm going to go at all. Um, uh, and if I do go, I think I'm going to do, like, a gender bit black beard in my depression ooh. robe and depression corset, uh, which yeah. I've never really worn out. Uh, but also, R.I.P. Our flag means death. Uh, yes, R.I.P. I'm pretty upset about that, but... Group uh. photo in the depression robes, because all the fans are yeah. sad together. It's, it's a bad time. Um... Well, thank you. Thanks to your advice, I've been reading uh, Crescent City. Really gotten into it since the last time we talked. Yeah, I'm like yeah. halfway through the book. I'm like, I'm, I'm in it now. I, but I tell yeah. you what, that those first like twenty five percent of that book, thick, thick with black backstory. She, I can't. I can't. She, I'm like, I'm like, why is this important? And now I'm like, all right, I get it. But like, yeah. At what cost? But when you're reading it, it's like into Beninging. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's really all I've been doing, and uh, still getting over my COVID. So, oh. yeah, but I sound better, I think, already. So, oh, you sound you sound actually perfectly fine. Yeah, uh, yeah. we recorded Just these pretty close to the last episode, but shh, nobody no. tell you. <laughs> um, okay, so this week uh, we have uh, our first guest, which is incredibly exciting. Incredibly. Um, we have uh, Ella Gallego, hope I said it right. Uh, yeah, you said it right. Who has written um, a monstrous desire study. So she has really done the research on monster fucking. Um, and uh, we sit down and talk with her, and um, we won't get too into it. Uh, 
beforehand, but um, it's it's pretty exciting. So, uh, yeah. Anything to add, Jess? Um, this is something we're going to carry through yeah. the rest of the podcast. We're going to try to bring in some guests here and there. You know, mix things up, lest we run out of monsters <laughs> to fuck. Well, we, I don't um, think we'll ever run out of monsters to fuck. Will no, we? there's a million. There's a we'll, million. We can revisit this. We can this circle classic. back. We yeah. can circle jerk back to some of them. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, without further ado, enjoy this uh, our first special guest. Just as a small note before we start, uh, there were some audio issues uh, about halfway through um, our recording. So, if you get to a bit where there's a little bit of static, uh, it's, it doesn't go on for very long. So, just keep listening. Uh, it does stop. So, we apologize for. <laughs> For any kind of static that you may hear. It's just like ambient white noise. It's fine. Yeah. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah, don't go to sleep. There's more great stuff coming in the podcast. <laughs> All right, guys. Welcome to our first ever Hissing and Kissing guest. Um, she's a welcome. writer. Yes. <laughs> she's a, a writer and researcher based in California. Um, she uh, Her short stories, creative fiction, and nonfiction pieces have been published in various publications such as Publish Ed, The Scotland Correspondence, Pseudomag, and The Independent Publishing Magazine. So a big welcome to Ella Gallego. Did I get it? <laughs> you did. You got you it! Nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> Excellent. I'm so glad. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Um, Thank you yes. so much. <laughs> I, I connected with Ella uh, over on TikTok um, because mm-hmm. I'm always constantly kind of searching for uh, uh, monster fucking content. <laughs> Absolutely, you are. Yeah, it's research, right, Sarah? It, it is research. research. <laughs> it's research. And I said, what is this? Um, so tell us a little bit about um, your study uh, that you are sharing on TikTok, uh, sort of an overarching way or whatever you want to share about it, Ella. Yeah, of course. So the Monstrous Desire study uh, came about in 2022 I gotta reorganize myself because we are now in 2024 Mm -hmm. Um, oh gosh (laughs) very newly I know I know um so that came about in 2022 um and I really wanted to study um I really love asking people why why are people into certain things um what is the demographics like wh- what is the story behind you know the science mm-hmm. of it all um and so i had just finished my master's program at the university of Edim- or excuse me at the university of sterling yes. uh, in scotland where i was uh, getting my master's in publishing and i was um i had just written my dissertation on dark romance and part of dark romance I had lumped in monster romance and so I had already had dipped my toe into doing like the science of this all and so I reached out to uh, a ton of monster romance authors um, like Ruby Dixon and Mm -hmm. Siemens Costa and Lillian Lark um, you know, kind of <laughs> the big dogs, mm-hmm. as you will. Um, I reached out to them and I asked, I was like, would you be, you know, kind enough to circulate this on your social media? It, it doesn't even have to be, like, on your main social media. It can just be on your Instagram stories. And they were more than happy to help. And 
overnight, just from Ruby Dixon herself, I got over a thousand respondents, um, you know, who were more than eager to talk about, you know, their relationship to monsters and erotic monsters and monster romance. Um, and since then, you know, it's really just taken off, really, truly. <laughs> And I love that. And I love sort of the, the angle that you went about it. Um, and also, uh, shout out to being the same exact program as I was for grad school, because you're the first person outside of my program that I've ever, uh, I've ever met. It's so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. It is so, so bizarre how small of a world this is. Yes, mine was a, a while so ago. Bananas. Mine was 2006. Eight was my graduating year, but uh, same program. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I mean, yeah, as we're you know kindred in that way by mm-hmm. that same shared pain. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, intense so, program. Yeah. And yeah. Ella, you're planning on putting this research into a a, a book, correct? Yeah, so actually I have an agent right now and we're on the precipice of pitching the book to publishers. Really big stuff. Um, So what the book will consist of is not just obviously, uh, I I will go into a deep dive of the study, um, Mm -hmm. both the quantitative, so the numbers version and the qualitative. So I also had people, I wanted a mixture of people, you know, hard numbers and also people writing things. Mm. So... I have over 2,200 responses, and that <laughs> takes, yeah, 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 it takes a lot of time. It yeah. takes so much time. Um, so uh, the book will not just be an analysis of, of that and studying the demographics and, and the approach to that, but it's going to be looking uh, comprehensively at the history of erotic monsters around the globe in in various cultures and how wow. you know they've been here for centuries and centuries and centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of my website, The Monstrous Desire. Is you can go onto the blog and uh, I do blogs about various topics like um, demon copulation in medieval Europe. Or, it's amazing. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, it's an insane topic. Um, <laughs> I also have a podcast, which I, because I know that like some people may not want to read because they're kind of hefty. They're kind of mm-hmm. girthy. <laughs> um, and we so like that here. People, <laughs> indeed, indeed. So if you if you don't want to read that, I have a podcast that I am very slowly updating episodes to that are just taking the transcripts. Um, but yeah, you know, if you want to learn about demon copulation in Europe during the Middle Ages, I talk about that. If you want to learn about the history of tentacle erotic porn or art in Japan, I talk about that. You we, know, we, uh, currently I'm doing research on Beauty and the Beast and like that's evolution. Yes. Through, and it's been amazing. We that's what our first episode was on. We did Beauty and the Beast. And it was really Yeah, we thought we'd get, you know, get to the the main one. Yeah. Right off the bat. <laughs> Well, it's funny you bring that up, because Beauty and the Beast was ranked number one for the most referenced monster, first monster crush um, from my respondents. He was mentioned 390 times, which is resounding. I love that. I called it That's the gateway drug to monster fucking, (laughs) what we said in our podcast. I I think we had a consensus that um, stay, stay the beast, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't turn back to human. Yeah, people preferred the beast over the prince. Um, it's so funny you mentioned that too because within each variation of Beauty and the Beast, the tale goes back to the 18th century. Right. France, it was a fairy tale. 
Um, and I mean, it can go back even farther if we're talking about just the presence of what they call animal bridegrooms. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Oh, we love it. Yeah. Yeah, so the animal bridegroom can be traced back to, like, the second century A.D. to uh, Cupid and Psyche. Um, mm. And so um, it's a very long history, but, like, through each variation of Beauty and the Beast, you have some variation of Beauty kind of being disappointed. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> when um, there's, I think, in a play that was written in 1901... I want to say it was a screenplay of Beauty and the Beast. She's literally like, oh, I don't, damn, this is kind of disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> but the original stories, it, it, you know, the Beast has to become a man, not by just a simple kiss, but he has to share her bed. So every night he asks Belle, can I go to bed with you? And she says no, because she's like, gross, uh, freak. Um, but, like, that's, there's such a very loud and present uh, theme throughout Beauty and the Beast about, like, lust mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. eroticism and sexuality and what that has to say in relation especially to gender and class. Yes. It's interesting, too, that uh, not only are, is the, the monster element there in Beauty and the Beast, but also some amazing tropes that carry through the monster loving genre um such as you know the, like as you mentioned the kind of forced marriage and then there's you know forced proximity forced you know confinement type thing um and those yeah. carry through in a lot of a lot of monster romances mm -hmm. yeah i think that in the instance of fairy tales where you see um the animal bridegroom specifically mm -hmm. and where you have uh, wives who aren't like enthusiastic to be married to <laughs> yeah. a creature um, a lot of that has to speaks to um, what is at the time um, women being given away um, mm. kind of as property to older men um, and it is the protection of a um, like a bourgeois uh, class. It's a protection. Uh, you know, when you're marrying into royalty, like within Beauty and the Beast, he's a prince and she's like, well, she comes from a merchant family, so mm -hmm. they were mm. upper class until they lost all of their money. Um, and so a lot of this, uh, the trope of inconvenient marriage or, or the forced proximity comes mm -hmm. down to you know, these tales really do grapple with how a lot of women did not want to marry what they perceived as gross older men, rightfully yeah. so. Mm -hmm. um, and so these tales, in a way, are kind of that grappling about saying, but look, it can be happy, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, mm. It can be magical. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's really sad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I think that you're right, that there is definitely a history of that. Yeah. You know, I'd be curious um, how closely um, Allie Hazelwood's new book, Bride, follows some of the of what we we've been talking about. I mean, it's literally called Bride. Yeah. And it's a forced marriage um monster romance. So that should oh. be an interesting Oh, one. is Ellie Hazelwood yeah. getting into monster romance now? Uh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, um, with, she, okay. Not, with nodding. 
With nodding. Yeah. Uh, she made wow. a reference to it in... Um, when she announced it. In the it. description. Uh, d- yeah, she yeah. announced that it's going to have she nodding. She is, in. yeah. Yeah. So we've we've touched on on her uh, a few times in our in our podcast, but um, yeah. yeah, we're excited about that book for sure. So oh, that'll be interesting. Yeah. So let's dive a little bit into the study itself. Um, let's talk a little bit about the demographics that you have seen, and maybe you know comparing to some of the people that we've we have as our listeners. And mm-hmm. I gotta say, yeah. I was surprised by how well Sarah and I fell under. <laughs> these demographics (laughs) as I was going through but um, uh, take it away Ella yeah so um, the I I like to preface this and I think a lot of people are a little disappointed when I do Mm -hmm. um, that the study is an incredible glimpse at what could be a comprehensive um, demographic look but I, I hesitate to say that it is um, only because of the way that I um, gathered this information um, points to perhaps confirmation biases. So what mm. I mean by that is that, like, for example, I, and I always bring this one up, uh, 70% of the respondents are from the U.S. That doesn't mean that all people who like monsters or are monster lovers are from the United States. It's just that I speak English, you know, the right. the, the, demog- the, the demographic, the surveys in English, and the people who I reached out to were all from, or I assume, from the United States. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have confirmation biases in that way. Um, in that same vein, um, I reached out to predominantly and got most of my enthusiastic responses from monster romance readers and so what we're seeing i think in the demographic at least is perhaps um a demographic of the romance genre readership okay because Uh that absolutely matches with the the not monster excuse me just the romance authorship so for example uh 76.5 percent were white uh 70 percent were women um, and that, that, that is pretty in line with, uh, the, the romance genre demographic of readers. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that sticks out to me is that 56.5% were queer or within the queer community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a really big number. And that differentiates itself from the romance genre, um, because the romance genre, I think, predominantly deals with heterosexual relationships. And that's not to say that queer, um, queer genres or queer romances don't exist. No, of course they do. Right. But just that the mainstream predominantly deals with heterosexual romances and pushes that forward for a predominantly heterosexual demographic. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? 56.5. Um, sorry. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, what do you what do you think the um, that might be drawing in the LGBTQ plus community to this genre, um, as I opposed think, to just regular romance? Um, I think that there is so much of a draw to monstrosity because monstrosity is an inherently political um, uh, subject. It, it mm. cannot be apolitical. Mm-hmm. Um, monstrosity is about being the other. And so when you talk about 
um, marginalized identities within society who have been othered, who have been ostracized, who have been placed on, you know, the periphery of society and felt monstrous or made to feel monstrous. Queer people do, of course. Mm-hmm. Pre- you know, they're going to feel that way. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you have a lot of people within the qualitative part, so the written portions of the survey, you know, a lot of trans people, a lot of genderqueer people, um, or just queer people in general talking about how, you know, I really sympathize, excuse me, I really sympathize with, the, you know, the beast or the creature um, because, you know, there's a lot of overlap there of being demonized for being. Mm. Um, and we find that with our, our listeners as well. You know, we, we say that we are a very queer-friendly uh, podcast, and that's something that definitely comes up, you know, when we are talking about monsters, and a lot of our our, uh, our listeners have identified themselves as bisexual or gender fluid, so we definitely see yeah. that with our mm-hmm. listeners as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, I think that, like, on top of monstrosity being inherently political, no matter which way you try to flip it, um, even if you try to depoliticize it, it's always saying something. Um, you know, the monster is also, I think, in some way inherently queer, because queer is that which challenges uh, the structural norms already in place. Um, and, I mean, there are... You're starting to see w- what I've called the domestication of the monster, mm-hmm. which I'll get into that perhaps later, but I think... If done properly, the monster is supposed to subvert, it's supposed to threaten, it's supposed to be something that answers to something within you that, it's supposed to speak to that within you, something that is intrinsic to you, Mm -hmm. um, in the same way that eroticism does. Um, And that's where there's a lot of overlap between monstrosity and eroticism. They speak to an innermost point of yourself of your identity yeah mm-hmm. oh, that's that's deep but i i i, I agree wholeheartedly <laughs> oh absolutely i find that that intersection for for me it i always think of it the pinnacle as being vampires um in a way um mm-hmm. where because i mean i always find that vampires in at least literature are often quite queer presented and coded mm-hmm. um yeah and but they do have they are uh, of a lesser type of monster i guess they're they're less you know monstrous as a um compared to like a, a werewolf for example they do maintain that human edge to them which i Some i think them. that is kind of comes up in your study um Right. Yeah. Some, of, Some them. of them do. I mean, if we look at Nosferatu, yeah. I you know, mean, he's a freak. <laughs> That's true. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but, like, you know, if you look up Anne Rice, I, I think I posted an interview with her on my website, um, in which I, Anne Rice is being asked in 2013 about, you know, interview with a vampire, and she talks about why she loves vampires, and she talks about you know kind of what you're saying which is like she's they are the original monster mm-hmm. um they're kind of you know there's this tragedy to them of you know they're the undead they don't want to be dead they don't want to have this curse laid upon them but it's something that they have to embrace to survive and so there's a romanticism i think in in this 
tug and pull about their identity of, of not wanting to be this monster, but having to, you know, they can't, they, they have to drink blood to survive. If they don't, then they die. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so sort of in that vein, going sort of in the Anne Rice, let's talk a little bit about um, media consumption and down to your uh, word cloud of first monster mm-hmm. crush. Because I found this word cloud incredibly interesting wow. with what incredibly. was in it. Um, especially uh, such a, a, a big uh, emphasis on gargoyles. Uh, which sort of shocked me, uh, but yeah. also I get it, you know. <laughs> so I was I, particularly intrigued by legend, uh, darkness being in there because I was I thought I was like oh, I thought it was just me, like to see no, it also in there. No. <laughs> you you would be surprised that, and you know, I always think I think we humans want to think ourselves as so unique, and then you find yourself within a group of people and you say something, and everybody's like, yeah, and you're like, oh, I guess. <laughs> Mm-hmm. There are dozens. Mm-hmm. I feel like that Tobias Funke meme where he's like, "There are dozens of us." Dozens. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he's talking about being a never nude. But yeah, like, it's with monsters. <laughs> same thing. Yeah, look at us. Same. Look at us. <laughs> same. same. Yeah, uh, but but some are really uh, really interesting to me. I think you know. Um, I think there's a a lot of them are. Uh, for lack of a better, a, a little bit of an older generation, you know, and you have darkness and gargoyles and alien and then we've got some newer ones like twilight or you know ice planet barbarians mm-hmm. um so it's interesting to sort of see yeah. the the age spectrum maybe in the word cloud a little bit itself as well um i think that it's it shows a very it it demonstrates the age demographics that predominantly made up the mm-hmm. respondents very well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was predominantly Gen Z and millennials, which again isn't to say that like older people haven't thought about. It's just that are older people using <laughs> yeah. Instagram? Are you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, but what you have right now is um, millennials and Gen Z. And it's so funny, the gargoyles thing brought up. I, I had never watched gargoyles. Um, and then I, like, looked it up, and I was like, oh, the big guy, yeah, for sure. And then, like, Desmona, uh, Demona, that's her name, Demona yeah. came up, oh, and I was yeah. like, yeah, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> there it is. I, 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 can, I can see where, you know, some kid watching this would feel confused. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's so, it's funny to me, because a lot of this media isn't inherently erotic. No. Um, no. It's, it's that people found eroticism in it, and I think that that speaks to like for alien for example which i don't understand but i think the like absolute uh (laughs) terror of it just delights me that someone looked at uh, like the queen mother and was like, yeah, I want to fuck that. Well, I'm like, oh my god. I, well, I feel like the mouth has something to yeah, do with it. Yeah, we talked about this. We had an alien. We had an alien episode, and uh, so for this episode, I watched all of the alien movies. I had never really watched Fantastic. them before. Fantastic. And I think it's the third or fourth alien. There's like an orgy with Sigourney Weaver in the <laughs> middle. <laughs> what? Of, yeah, yeah. Sigourney Weaver's like, uh, like How have just writhing in the middle of all of the aliens, and it is <gasps> incredible. Amazing sexual like Fuck. and I, I have 
failed in my job. Yeah, and it's also like a little bit of that tentacle that comes into play yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So from that, not the first one, but like some of the older ones, yeah. I'm like, oh, because she's she just wants to mate because she's got like the alien in her. So she's yeah. like ready to fuck. And and that one, I was oh like, my. oh, I got it now. Got it. Okay. Oh my god, it's, <laughs> ru- it's running <laughs> season on this ship. It's running season on. <laughs> So That's yeah, so funny. I've only seen the first two, which are fantastic movies. Yeah, fantastic. you should watch the yeah. one where like... she's like in the alien orgy because shit. I, well, I have to. Yeah, my I, husband I was like, "You don't know about that," and I was like, "No." And he's like, "Let me educate no. you," and I was like, "All right." Jesus <laughs> yeah, so. I, I gotta get my shit in gear. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> um, I did not know about that, but thank you for yeah, you know, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, so a little bit further down and I'll sort of bring this into the word cloud um, the the most referenced actors for first monster attraction I love this so much you have it down to Tim Curry and Ron Perlman which is such a perfect perfect way uh, as like an introduction Um, you know uh, Hexes absolutely for me and we recently rewatched that in the house, and I went, "Oh yeah. my god, this is yeah, the most just, sexual thing for children." Sexuality, yeah. And the lyrics oh. are, yeah. like oh, vulgar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He puts so. this whole Tim like cussy. Tim cussy. Like my favorite thing is again, I didn't watch Ferngully growing up. Um, so when this came up, I was like, what are, what are people talking about? So I watched it and I watched that specific song. Uh-huh. Um, and it was on YouTube and like the top comment for it was like, this song got me pregnant. Like, <laughs> like just listening to Tim Curry. Yeah. Like, that got me pregnant. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I suppose so. <laughs> and then, uh, and then we have Ron Perlman, which I think are, those are two very different roles. And we look at like, um, Beauty and the Beast from the 80s and then Hellboy. But they are like very monstrous in their own right. Mm. Um, Hellboy. Hellboy could get it. <laughs> and Ron Perlman shows up in a lot of other kind of monster um, monster bits of media, which is, I think is interesting. He's in, you know, Blade and a few other things. We're sort of talking about uh, the books on your, your list. Um, mm-hmm. We have uh, covered a lot of these in our podcast. You know, we've talked about The Kraken Sacrifice. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Ice Planet Barbarians. We hit uh, Morning Glory Milking Farm on our Minotaur episode. Um, <laughs> yeah. But why do you think that books are really the most popular form of consumption when it comes to monster romance? And in your study, did you factor in fan fiction at all or consider factoring it in? Um, so I think that, so the, the stat for that is 74% of respondents felt books allowed them to enjoy erotic monsters most. And again, I think that might be a giveaway that I'm speaking to the romance genre. Um, Mm. because, and I can't say for sure or not, because I'm planning to do a second survey, um, that has to be an equal size, if not more of respondents. Um, to confirm my findings. So, like, you know, this is all just me kind of spitballing um, about why I think maybe the stats look the way that they do. Um, But if I did a second survey, I can confirm, you know, are books the best way for people to enjoy erotic monsters the best? Um, Or is that something that, you know, obviously the romance genre of readers are going to feel 
that best. Or, you know, if I am not speaking directly to the romance genre, um, reader demographic, is it going to come up as comics, you know, as web comics? Is it going to mm-hmm. come up as Twitter art? You know, there's so much variability. Um, but I do think, you know, if we're talking about um, romance readers, I think that erotica has such a long, long history, especially um, literary erotica, mm-hmm. um, as, and, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I am very familiar with the history of literary erotica because I wrote my dissertation on it mm-hmm. um, specifically and kind of its um, evolution. And literary erotica essentially came forth um, um, and was marketed as by women for women, and it was in response to visual pornography. Um, and so, um, what you saw was um, a lot of women, I think, trying to reclaim sexuality for themselves um, through a market that they could dominate and could control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that obviously is still very. Um, uh, present to this day. Obviously, I I think that I brought this up with Lillian Larkin. Lillian was kind of like, no, no, I don't think, uh, you know, romance is by women for women. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's true. There's obviously, you have a more diverse array of people reading romance. But I think, again, mainstream, you still have predominantly a lot of heterosexual women consuming erotica um, through books. Um, and so, and I think, especially with the digital age where, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we don't have to carry a physical book on a train of like yeah. the bodice rippers, which are such a dead giveaway, obviously, of yeah. you know, <laughs> erotica. Um, but if you have your Kindle, like no, nobody knows. Um, at, like one of the uh, academics I was talking to, um, or that I was reading, excuse me, um, explained that um, erotica becoming digitized was almost like, you know, the Kindle became like the brown paper bag for like, <laughs> yeah, for like <laughs> romance books. Um, you you could never know. So I think there's it. It allows for, and someone described this really interestingly, as expanding the boundaries of the home. Um, so you're no longer relegated to the house, um, you know, reading um, erotica or romance or bodice strippers, um, whatever you want to call them or whatever you're reading. Mm-hmm. You know, you are now freely mobile to expand beyond your boundaries. Um, and so I think that, especially with something taboo like erotic monsters, um, like I, I love the monster romance covers that have begun to lean on uh, bodice strippers. Yeah, um, Lillian, Lillian Lark's covers that she does herself, which is mind-bogglingly impressive. Um, you know, she paints all those covers. They're so beautiful. That's amazing. Again, wow. yeah, bodice strippers. Like I love that. I, I think it's fantastic that we're going back to that. I love Katie Roberts. You know, she also does the bodice stripper monster romance covers. But again, I think that was something when you combined now two taboo subjects such as erotica and you know monster romance. Um, reading it in book form allows you. Um, to fully immerse yourself 
into the story. But I also think that, you know, most people are reading them on their, like, Kindles. And so, again, it's the brown paper bag. Like, you can go anywhere. Yeah. I tell <laughs> like, you what. No one's going to stop you. Yeah, I'll read a lot of it on my phone. <laughs> so speaking about that kind of, like, brown uh, paper bag of, of the the kind of eroticness, um, you know, you, you wrote a lot of this. It's like most people are only talking about this with their friends. It is a secret, almost taboo kind mm-hmm. of thing. Do mm-hmm. you think that monster romance is going to become more mainstream? Um, I think it already has. Um, yeah. I think that it's this really complex mixture of both now being more mainstream uh, while still kind of straddling the periphery. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean, like, like for example, Ruby Dixon's, like, humongous 21 or 22 book series I explain of barbarians um she originally published that self-published it in uh, I want to say 2015 if I'm remembering correctly mm-hmm. um and so a lot of these uh, folks a lot of these authors um could only self-publish because publishing was not willing to take a gamble with uh, the subject matter until the market proved during quarantine Mm -hmm. that people were more than willing to, you know, there was an untapped market there. And then Berkeley, the uh, imprint of Penguin came along and picked up Ruby Dixon and republished it under, you know, the traditional publisher's name. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Ruby Dixon now, like that's like Berkeley is, is a very large publisher. It's an imprint of Penguin, but you know, Berkeley has published some pretty large books that are pretty well known. So Ruby Dixon is mainstream now. Um, I mean, Guillermo del Toro won awards for The Shape of Water, which was, you know, a romance between a creature and a woman. Um, And so I think that you have a lot of examples of monster fuckery. I mean, Twilight. God, how could I forget it? Yeah, yeah. God, the <laughs> OG, was, the, the OG monster yeah. fucker herself, Bella yeah. Swan. Like, you know, I, it's so funny to me when I talk about people, when I ask people if they can, they consider themselves or have ever considered um, being attracted to monsters. They kind of like scoff a little bit. Yeah. And I'm like, but were you ever like a Twihard fan? And they're like, um, that doesn't count. I'm like, it does. It does. Absolutely, it does. <laughs> I'm <laughs> counting it. Like, vampires are monsters. And I know that there's going to be so many, like, <laughs> there's going to be so many gatekeeping monster fuckers who are like, no, they aren't. And I'm like, they are. Yeah, they they are. are monsters. I'm sorry. They are monsters. Like, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm drawn this line. They are. What do you think? Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go, go ahead. for it. I, no, I was no, gonna you ask go for what it. you what you think like how book talk or bookstagram has played a role in the mainstreaming of monster fuckers. Um, well, I mean, with the Ruby Dixon example, the only reason that mm-hmm. Berkeley picked her up was because she took off during quarantine. And I think I remember reading in an article that Ruby was like, you know, like I was just doing my thing, and then, you know, someone on Book Talk did a review on it, and it just f- took off. Um, and so it's interesting because, you know, that these books had been out for a while, and then they years later they took off during quarantine where people were um, bored and, and looking to read and looking to do something, and um, reading in general um, really took off during quarantine obviously people needed something to do 
And um, so book talk is interesting in that um, publishers, especially indie pub or sorry, not publishers, authors, indie authors um, have a direct audience that they can speak to and can market to through social media like um, TikTok or Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, that can help them get their wheels off the ground for their books. I mean, it's so interesting. So I, when I went and did my master's program, I started in 2021. Um, and around that time, I, you know, I kept seeing uh, ads for like uh, Morning Glory Milking Farm, which was my f- <laughs> really, like mm-hmm. I dipped my toe in with Ruby Dixon that's wild. And, yeah. Yeah, right? I dipped my toe in with Ruby Dixon, and then I was like, all right, let's cannonball in. And then I jumped into Morning Glory Milking Farm. <laughs> because at that time, you know, there was so many TikToks going around about being like, um, it, it was, um, all of them were just like, oh, my God, this book is about, like, minotaurs, minotaurs. You know, like, it was, it was really yeah. playing up the, like the taboo the like excitement of it and i was like i can't read that i can't and then i did read it and i was like that was amazing it's such a, <laughs> it's such a good book and i, I yeah. found it the same way again like uh you know on book talk but it was one of those things yeah. where i was like this feels very taboo to me um yeah i i, I really enjoyed that aspect yeah. i think that um cm is really good about that about somehow like her monsters take place in a world in which they aren't really monsters. They're like yeah. norms. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But she still answers to taboo in, in varying ways. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, like her run. I love her book, Run, Rabbit, Run. That's a good one. Um, uh, and then her other one, which is, oh, shit. The is one with the uh, moth. No, 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 no. Oh, uh, okay. The one with the brother uh, to. <laughs> Oh, I I can see the cover in my head. It's a really great cover. Um, let me see if I can find it. I mean, she's got she's got a lot of great books. Yeah, but I, I actually haven't read the Mothman one. Which the is Mothman funny. one is is again it plays with the taboo that isn't Mothman, which is really oh. interesting. So I, I like that kind of like balance of like it's a monster, right. but they're normies. But here's another taboo. It almost takes you away from the initial monster taboo. So the other book that I like from her is called Moon Blooded Breeding Clinic, which is similar to Morning Glory Milking Farm. But you know, um, it's it's good. Um, she's she's a talented writer. I thoroughly enjoy her work. Yeah. Um, but after that, that was kind of like ripping the bandit off, and I was like, oh, I can do anything now. <laughs> like I read I read about minotaurs and like milking. Like I can. And I it's so funny when I talk to my friends about it, and they're like the what now and i'm like nah it's, it's not as like crazy as you think and they're like no no you sound crazy now yeah that, that was an episode i think that a lot of our listeners were like oh we're like in it now and we were like yeah, yeah, like, yeah. this is the one yeah. that like if you're gonna be yeah. uncomfortable it's probably yeah. this episode um which is again which is so funny because once you read it like to me i was like this isn't as scandalous as i thought it would be um in like a positive way you know yeah. like everybody kept like it, it feels like the shock wears off and then you're like oh this is fine yeah 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 uh, we always read yeah. little excerpts and stuff from whatever we're reading so oh, uh, oh yeah just get like little you know tasty little more tidbits <laughs> yeah. yeah oh yeah some are un- mm-hmm. unwanted yeah like our last episode 
where we did zombies. Oh yeah. Um, and we thought it was they hilarious. They are unpopular. That, yeah. We, exactly. Yeah. Even ourselves, yeah. we were cringing the whole episode. We were yeah. really trying to make it work, but we just yeah. couldn't. Yeah. At the end of the episode, we yeah. were just kind of like, I don't, I don't know if this is good, but we did it. Like, I, like I don't. <laughs> There's there is data to back that up. What can I say? Yeah. My data. We have, we have it on here because we wanted to talk to you about yep. the the feedback yeah. of that. It is the least attractive. Uh, monster yeah. oh really. overwhelmingly and i understand it because like you know it's so funny as as i have moved through um monster romances the genre you know I, I you know i did the aliens first and i was like oh that's nice and then i was like but i can't do anything more than that and then i read minotaur and i was mm-hmm. like oh that's fine i can't <laughs> do more than that and then i read um katie katie roberts i think yeah stalked by the kraken I, you know either of those anything with tentacles because i was like oh i can't oh, do tentacles yeah. and i was like ah i could do tentacles yeah. <laughs> and so I, I just kept one-upping myself but i think zombies present a very clear line for two different reasons okay. one they're decomposing mm-hmm. gross yes yeah. yes <laughs> gross um and so there's too much like necrophilia involved with that because yeah. like i think with yes, vampires for example mm-hmm. yeah vampires are dead but not like withering away or like flesh isn't <laughs> falling apart from them they're just undead um whereas zombies are like rotting their corpses they're falling apart and missing limbs and you know that's yeah. that's too much um the other reason was and a lot of people stress this and this is very interesting is um they need their monsters to be sentient um, yes. to provide consent yeah. to to be able to be a creature that like is not does not veer over into the realm of bestiality um, mm-hmm. and you know what I mean um, and so with a lot of zombies they, they are mindless they trudge around you know m- moaning brains <laughs> yeah. there's there's not a lot going on there intellectually they're not alive um, the a single exception to this was um, the movie Warm Bodies. That, yeah, that's what we yeah. talked about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's alive, and then it it kind of pussies out at the end, and then he becomes a real living human boy again. <laughs> so it, undo- it undoes the zombieism. It doesn't even really stick with it. Um, yeah, and he's not even decomposing. Examples. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the examples that I found um, relating to that, the the zombies did have a relative amount of sentience to them. Uh, right. In, in cases where there was, like, eroticism involved. Um, right. And I think... I think it has to do with the two, the twofold of like, they have to have both. They have to have sentience and they can't be rotting, Um, (laughs) which is what I can't, M, I think his name is M or something Mm -hmm. or Z or I don't remember. R. Um, R. R. I knew it was a letter. (laughs) Um, So R, he... um, he obviously is sentient he can provide consent he's more than alive um and he's not decomposing so i think he checks both those boxes otherwise people are really put off um we we sort of um when we were talking about this lumped in frankincense monster with zombies 
Um, oh, yeah. Because yeah. he is kind of a, a, we called it really the undead episode. So, yeah. um, but we, we found that I think a little bit more positivity around Frankenstein's monster again because he did have this, you know, awareness about him. He was very intelligent versus, you know, the sort of, again, mindlessness. Um, yeah. No, well, at least in Mary Shelley's book, he's like, stupid smart you yeah, know like really, yeah he's, yeah he's really intelligent he's not like oh fire like that that's just like uh universal pictures being yeah. dickheads and completely exactly. making him you know mindless but um i also i think in mary shelley's book he's not like that ugly i think he's supposed to be like super tall and i think he's supposed to be I can't remember what he, he was he's very handsome to look like. until he came back to life, and then he's like grotesque. Yeah. So he, right. you can like see through his skin, and he's like right. very yellow and gross. So like he right. was, it's like he was pretty, and then not so much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that went away quickly. Yeah, but I think that I think that Frankenstein, like you raise a really good point, where Frankenstein is in essence like technically a yeah. zombie. Um, he is undead, um, but I feel like. Uh, what both Mary Shelley and even Universal got is, and I've read about this, about the behind the scenes of making Frankenstein, which was, you know, he's kind of a romantic figure also. Like, all of these monsters are a bit romantic because they really just kind of want to be understood. Yeah. Um, but mm. their monstrosity really gets in the way of that, especially with, like, Frankenstein um, as, like, trying to be gentle, um... <laughs> and he wanted and, love in the end right right yeah. um and then there's the cliche of like oh we're the monsters we made frankenstein the monster um which i mean has to be stated it is the cliche but it is true um yeah so yeah frankenstein's a really interesting example yeah um so we skipped a, a little bit down to, to zombies which i think is great but i wanted to talk a little bit about that the attributes that people found attractive in monsters because i thought this was really interesting uh the number one thing being these monsters physical features that people find attractive these wings these horns uh mm-hmm. you know, these fangs and claws i don't know if you had any sort of insight into that um because that was really I've- interesting I haven't delved that deeply into this, but I am. I have decided that I'm dedicated an entire chapter in my book to it, yeah, and in yeah. especially in relation to kink, because I think that yes. when you have, like, monstrosity allows you to like really play with kink to like, you know, the nth degree. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, you have dicks with copious amount of semen you have dicks that are also can be um like ribbed to your pleasure you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. they are completely to whatever liking you have tails and appendages that can bind you you have you know talons and and fangs that can bite and and claw you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so i think that there's um so much there in ways of um, exploring kink in a really fantastical manner. Um, especially, like, I, I feel like... Like, I think the number... I've been thinking on this for a couple weeks now that I'm like, I should probably get to, like, studying that. But, like, for example, like, <laughs> the breeding kink yeah. is really, <laughs> really, really prominent in Monster yeah, Room. really prominent. Exceedingly prominent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, 
th- there's absolutely something there between monstrosity and the breeding kink um, that like I haven't explored it yet but I've been thinking a lot on it recently where I'm like yeah that that's going in the chapter like yeah well you can't not talk about that we, uh, <laughs> we did an episode on um alpha omega uh yes, yes. which yes, I think you get you and that that in itself has a big breeding kink element to it big. Um, well, that's kind big. of yes it's a big element and and um in the queer community too yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing is that I think that like so many people on Twitter are like the breeding kink. You mean just being a normal human? No. I'm like no, 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 no. Different. No, 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 no. It's yeah. way different than that because, like you said, you have the queer community who like you have like a lot of trans women who are like I'm gonna knock you up. Yeah. You yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You have, like you have like um mpreg with an omega mm-hmm. about like Absolutely. two men. Um, two cis men in preg and you're like what's going on here um, and so I think that um, the breeding kink honestly is a taboo in that like for a lot of us for me personally I would uh, absolutely hate to get pregnant absolutely yeah. Yeah. not on my to-do list um, <laughs> and so I, th- I, I do think that like this idea of like the threat of pregnancy is taboo in, yeah. a, in a sense of like um, the threat of like the worst thing happening of having a child yeah. is um, uh, alluring. Yeah, um, because I, 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 so many people on Twitter, like I said, they're so dumb. They're like, "Oh, you it's just a human response." I'm like, I, I, "No, I, I think it's the inverse." It's, yeah, there's it's something the threat. Yeah, and and something that we we touch on too, which I think you can kind of gather a little bit from kind of like powerful and domineering is there is a lot of times an an element of like. Uh, consensual non-consent when we we talk mm-hmm. about monsters, you know, like mm-hmm. which I think if you if you uh, examine that outside of you know the topic we're talking about, it's not something that I would want like a a, a boring white straight man to be like, oh, she wanted it, you know. But mm-hmm. in the, in the context of like romance, it's like, oh, I don't want it, but I do, and I think mm-hmm. that's an, a way that people can explore that safely, you know, within exactly, monster romance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. I mean, so, I think that consensual non-consent is very fascinating. Uh, I touched on that really big time uh, in my study of dark romance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was... So my study was gathering a cohesive ethnography of the dark romance genre and um, defining it. Um, because it's a fairly new... Demo- or it's a fairly new genre. Um, it hasn't been around at least as we know it for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so consensual non-consent, obviously, is a very, very prevalent theme in dark romance. And when yes. I asked respondents about that, um, most of their responses, most of them were straight um, uh, women. Um, they were responding with a myriad of reasons why that was alluring to them. Mm -hmm. And it came down to a lot of external factors, like um, one person said, you know, um, you know, I'm tired from having to make decisions all day as a mother, as a wife, as a business owner. Um, I'm so tired of having to delegate everything in my life to have pleasure not be delegated to me to not be something that I have to have control over is 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 nice is something that I can um indulge in 
you know, there's also the thought of, like, guilt. Um, when you have pleasure forced upon you in a safe environment, um, especially fantastical, um, you don't have to feel guilt for whatever pleasure occurs. Um, and then and I, I think... I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I wonder if also um, talking about, like, guilt and, and this topic of a consensual non-consent, I wonder if having... Um, it, having that in the monster romance genre specifically, I wonder if it alleviates some of the guilt because it's not a human. Mm -hmm. It's not human to human that this is occurring mm -hmm. with. There, mm -hmm. There's the monster, which kind of like softens softens it again in a way. I guess that's the. Do you do you understand what I'm kind of getting at? Like yeah um, yeah yeah. I think a great two great movies that really hit on this is. Um, um, Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, yes. That's um, Justin's very favorite. I, it's, it's such a good movie. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Gary, Gary Oldman have... in all his best forms. <laughs> yes. 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 But I think that that, like, there's something really about that specifically um, in that uh, you have Mina, who's this, like, sheltered, like, young woman who has never been touched sensually, mm -hmm. um, and she yearns for Jonathan, um, mm -hmm. and I think her only introduction into sexuality and sensuality is her friend, her harlot of a friend, Lucy. Oh, yes. Um, and so when she comes across that scene in which um, Dracula, as a werewolf, is making love to Lucy in the middle of the storm, and she's, like, uh, titillated, but also, like, terrified, but also really intrigued, and yeah. you can see her heart pounding, you know, as she's um, standing there, like, watching the scene unfold. Um, and so I think this idea of, like, alleviating guilt... Um, uh, for uh, finding something taboo attractive is um, really powerful, especially within fantasy, because no one's going to get hurt. At the right. end of the day, mm -hmm. no one's going to get hurt. Yeah. Especially, I think, with like consensual non-consent, a lot of people uh, in dark romance, and this would go probably dually, because, you know, it's the romance genre in general, um, someone said, you know, I... I have a hard time watching it within visual pornography because I can't promise that people aren't being hurt, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, because it's an exploitative industry. Um, but I can promise within literature, if it gets if it gets too much to me, I close the book. Yeah. I leave mm. it. You know, I, I don't get hurt. Nobody inside get their characters. And with it being a romance, more likely than not, it ends in a happy ending. So, you know, you, you really get safety within fantasy um, and fiction in general. Uh, and monster romance, I would say, really includes that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think it kind of goes with um, a little bit with the, in your study, it said 50% um, preferred their monsters to be morally gray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. I think is yeah. is wonderful, again, kind of with <laughs> yeah. what we're saying. I think it's yeah. it's right along those lines. Um, it's a safe place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love um, monsters who are dangerous. I mean, I think my favorite, <laughs> I uh, my favorite stat from all of this is that more people are likely to be attracted to monsters who pose a physical threat to them. That's my favorite. I love telling people mm, that. I love so that. So 78% of people are very likely 
and likely to be attracted to monsters who posed as a physical threat to them, like that that could have hurt them. And I was mm-hmm. like, I I love that because it it points to um, this fine line between fear and danger and arousal. Um, yeah. It's this really razor thin fine line. Um, and uh, God, it, I th- I think that. I love that. I I know that right now cinnamon roll monsters are are really in, but I think that for a monster to be true to its form, it has to threaten something. It has to threaten norms. It has to be subversive. And I think that for monsters to maintain their interest, they need to continue to be threatening. Not necessarily like, oh, they're violent, they're going to beat you up, but I mean that they have to present in some way as a threat to social norms whether it's heterosexuality Mm. or gender or you know what have you yeah i i absolutely agree i think i think that's part of the reason that we we love our monsters so much you know yeah Um, absolutely yeah absolutely Um, i think the other movie that's great about um like guilt and desires the lighthouse which um oh, i talk about this a I lot seen it i yet. love that oh, oh i love that movie i've got to see it i have a tattoo of it it's it's my favorite it's uh. like this this study literally would not exist without the lighthouse i went and saw it with a friend and i was so like dumbstruck by it that i'm still doing this study to this day like this th- none of this would exist without the lighthouse um and the lighthouse to me is an, a, a perfect encapsulation of queer anxieties of of you know guilt around uh what people perceive as taboo um and how that manifests itself within monstrous forms um mm. it's so good all right it's going so on my weekend good. watch list absolutely yep. What's going yeah, on? It's please, on it. There's please. so much splooge. So much splooge. Love that. Love it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, well, Jess, do you want to ask the, the last question I think we've got? Yes. Uh, um, I wanted to ask if there was any anything in your findings that surprised you, as not as a researcher, but as somebody who also enjoys the genre. Um... I would I would say not surprised, but I did feel vindicated about the seventy eight percent of people who are more likely to be attracted to monsters <laughs> who threaten them. And I I do love to pull it out like a party card to people to be like, you know, people love being scroused, and they're like, dare I ask what that is? I'm like, scroused, you know, being scared and aroused, scroused, scroused. Oh my gosh, we're gonna use it. <laughs> yeah, to be scroused. Um, there's. There's a <laughs> there's a great episode of Futurama where um, I don't know if either of you watch it, but the oh, yeah. team have, yeah. the team gets stuck on on a planet where there's these giant Amazonian oh, women. Oh, death, mm-hmm. yeah. death by snoo snoo, death by snoo snoo, right? And yeah. Zap Brannigan, the asshole of the group, you know, oh, they're they're being fucked to death in essence by these Amazonian <laughs> women. Yeah. yeah. And um, it gets to the end where they're exhausted and Zap Brannigan says something along the lines of, like, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is, like, spongy and weak. (laughs) (laughs) I think of that so often when I look at that stat that, like, I mean, there's, I was recently on Reddit. Um, and I was looking at the subreddit r teratophilia teratophilia is the you know sexual mm-hmm. attraction mm-hmm. of uh, people to monsters and I mean they're on a whole other like they are posting some scary yeah. 
scary. We gotta get on like, there. We do. I, Reddit scares like, me. <laughs> it's no to the yeah. Where I was like, I feel like I am a rube. Like you guys are playing the big leagues. Like I, <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and so I, I do. I love that. I love that people want to be afraid and aroused simultaneously. They're like, get that cinnamon roll shit out of here. I, w- I want to be... Love it. I want to be on the precipice of death. And I, I, can, I can really... I can get... You know, it's similar. It's so like Bella Swan, you know, where Edward's like, I could fucking kill you, and Bella's like, I want it. Yeah, like, I want it. Yeah, she oh, tells her give con- it to me now. Yeah. She, she, in the first book, she literally thinks he's like a serial killer or something, and she doesn't care. Yes, she still she, follows yeah, him alone that. into the forest, and she's like, I know what you are. I'm yeah. like, girl. Mm-mm. Yeah, girl. and even after they have sex, sex and then they wreck the whole damn yeah. place. Yeah. She's, she's like, like again. she wants more. Uh, yes, again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and like, I, I kind of get it. There's, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's that thrill, um, that fine line, you know, the French say the orgasm is the little death. And so yeah. I think Let that us. when you ride that line between life and death and, you know, that thrill really pushes you to that edge. Um, I can really, uh, sympathize and understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, well, Ella, this has been great. Thank you yeah. so much for talking uh, to us. This has really been wonderful. You're our Absolutely. first podcast guest. We're so excited. Well, thank very you for excited. having me. It's very exciting. Um, so where can people find out more about your monster study and follow you? Is there anything you want to plug? Um, yeah. Um, so you can find all of my studies, so both the blog and the research at themonstrousdesirestudy.com. Um, and if you just type in monstrous desire study, my shit comes up first. Um, (laughs) and then I also have a podcast, um, called the monstrous desire study podcast. Um, I only have one episode right now, but it is about, uh, demon copulation in medieval Europe. Um, it, it is wild. Um, and then, of course, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok, both Monstrous Desire Study. Um, you know, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> if you look up Monstrous Des- Desire Study, I'm, I'm the only one doing it. I'm the only pervert <laughs> behind the data. Like, Amazing. And we'll share it's, it's links me. to everything on our website <laughs> well, um, so yeah, that yeah, people we can find you. Um, and, yeah, thank oh, you so good. much. We really, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, to speak with us. This has been really the great. The silly little topic. Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> silly we, gone to big, you know? Yeah, we love to big, baby. Yeah, we love to know there's people out there. Like, our whole goal is to build, like, a, a, a monster fucking uh, romance community. Like, that's our goal. Yeah. Because there are people that enjoy it. And we're just trying to build our little community of... Uh, of monster fuckers and so we appreciate you uh sharing that data and information so and yeah, if yeah we can help absolutely. you in the future share out like future surveys or whatever please let us know we're happy to yeah i would yeah. i would love to yeah um, like i said i'll i would definitely be doing a second survey because you know i <laughs> i was on tiktok and i was trying to circulate my shit and um <laughs> people one of them really took off about the fact that i had a survey that was already done and people are like without me and i was like i don't know you i don't know you yes without you but fine i I will do a second so people are very excited to be involved in this and i think um with my book potentially being published soon um 
We're hitting the mainstream, I love baby. It. No I longer love it. relegated to the yeah. shadows. Yes. Get it out there. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for having me on. It's been a real blast. It's yeah. been a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much. And we really appreciate it. Of course. Uh, so excited to see what else you publish in the future. Of Absolutely. Course, it, was a hoot. <laughs> it was a hoot. Awesome. I'll speak soon. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Bye. Okay. And that was our first guest ever of His Woo! and Kissed. I A big thank you to Ella. Thank you so much for uh, listening to these two crazy people um, and taking the and time to sit down with us. <laughs> and as we mentioned, um, we will be dropping links to the study Mm -hmm. um, where you can learn more about Ella and the study itself. Take a look at those stats. They're super interesting. Yeah. Um, Just just wonderful. And then Ella, of course, has a blog and a burgeoning podcast as well. So, um, yeah, we'll have those links up. Where will we have those links up? I'll tell you. Yeah. (laughs) You got this. Go. I got this. We will have those links up on our website, hissinandkissinpodcast.com. Um, we will also throw a link to the study in our link tree. You can find a link to our link tree in our Instagram bio, um, which our Instagram is hissinandkissinpodcast. Um, along uh, some of the other links that you will find in our link tree, uh, a link to our website, of course, uh, a link to our Discord server where we are gathering all you motherfuckers, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, links to listen, of course, uh, which includes Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. Oh. Um, um, and of course, we have a email account which I always forget. It's uh, hissin and kissin podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Uh, send us uh, some feedback over there um, or on our Instagram. We also um, chat over there with folks. Um, but we love feedback. We love suggestions. Um, if you think we stepped over the line at any point, also yeah. throw, that, throw yeah. that over there for us. Um, Good and bad we wanna, feedback. We want to hear it all. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, I, uh, did I get everything? I think you got it all. If you didn't, you got enough. <laughs> I got enough. There's uh, links to links. Links on links on links on links. Links on links uh, on links on links. That's got you. And then, uh, I don't have it up. Let me pull it up really quick. Uh, what are we doing for our next podcast? Do you remember off the top of your head? Oh, oh I got you, BB. Um, Yeti Bigfoot. Yes! <laughs> I'm so I mean, excited. It's, it's fitting for me because it's it's snowing and blizzard blizzardly. That's not a word. Blizzardly, uh, yeah. Blizzardly. It's blizzardly over here. Um, but uh, big. Yeah. Harry. We're gonna talk. Babes. about We're gonna talk about them everywhere. We're gonna talk about the one in the northwest. We're gonna talk about the one in the southeast. We're gonna talk about the ones everywhere. So. Uh, yeah. Come back next week for. The what start of the cryptid. Do. What, what that, that big, big feet, feet do. do. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, on that note, uh, logging off, and uh, until next time, stay horny, monster stay fuckers. Horny.